Tonight, our message is called Barren Faith. So, Barren Faith. Uh, as I come into this word tonight, I'm reminded that Sunday was more life to give. How many of you were here Sunday? Were you blessed by more life to give? Yes. Well, I was blessed by it too, but I was supposed to have preached on Turkey. And somehow between my study time and walking to the pulpit, that didn't happen. And uh, <laughs> I would like to blame it all on the leading of the Lord. Um, and yet the fact remains I was supposed to teach on Turkey. So uh, let me tell you, more life to give was born out of something. If you find yourself on a mission field and you are in a place of danger, uh, far from your home, where you don't speak the language and uh, you're, the outcome is uncertain, you find out just how much of your life belongs to you and doesn't the Lord. Because you think of the things you're going to lose, you think of the things that are not going to work right without you, all of those things. The messages that I am preaching right now, whether or not I mention the word Turkey, they are born out of the revelation that nothing in our lives is our own. And we've all been saying that since we came into Christ, but it's really different. Isn't it, Buddy Brasso, when you, uh, you don't even have a stereo system anymore? Right? At least it's gone somewhere good. Talking about how old we are, talking about a stereo, right? <laughs> don't even got an A-track system. <laughs> don't even got an LP. Look, the little ones don't even know what that is. When you start ridding your life of everything, when you start letting go of holidays, letting go of family get-togethers, letting go of your favorite things, uh, you find out how much life there's left to give him that we took back. Was that a convicting message Sunday? Yes. I hope it was also inspiring. Tonight, I want to talk to you about a barrenness and uh, that kind of barrenness that faith grows in. As we begin the topic tonight, each trip that we have taken to Turkey has been directed by a couple things. And I want you to hear about them for just a second. And then we're going to hop right into the word. In every case, the Holy Spirit has highlighted to us a very specific passage of Scripture. And then with that passage of Scripture, two or more witnesses have seen something in it that agreed with the Scripture, the context of the Scripture, the plain wording of the Scripture, and then agreed with what we thought the Spirit was saying about the Scripture. That's a special thing. And the reason that I tell you that's special is when we get a word about Antakia and uh, come straight out of the book of Acts and it's confirmed by two people in the same prayer meeting and then we roll into Antakia, never having been there before, not having called ahead, no networking with other people, no looking around to see what it would be, no market research, no, uh, no plan. And we roll into Antakya, and within a few hours, there is a young man who is now seeking the Lord with all of his heart, who identifies with Christianity, and is willing to follow us around Turkey and work with us. Amen. Only the Lord could do that. It is so important that we hear from the Lord. When we can take the first two lines of a letter that Peter wrote 2,000 years ago, and two people that are not 
Reading it at the same time can be drawn to a specific region, a specific city, named in the Word, and then confirm it in the Older Testament, both in its definition and in the name physically on a map today. And in a country of 80 million people, we roll into that city, walk out of a car, and walk right up to a God-fearing, God-seeking man with questions about Christianity. That's an important thing, don't you think? You could spend thousands of dollars and years doing analysis, market research to find the one God seeker, or you could just spend a few hours in prayer to correctly hear from the Spirit and the Word working in concert together. If you laugh at the former and practice the latter, you'll probably find a man of peace in every city you travel to. Tonight I hope to impress upon you the absolute, say absolute, absolute need for the testimony of the Spirit. I would call it a destitute need. Technically, those two words don't go together. It sounds like I'm mispronouncing something. Maybe I meant desperate need. No, I mean destitute need. The kind of need that is there when you are destitute, when you have nothing else, where if He does not help you, then the entire trip is a failure, your entire life is a failure. The poor are rich in faith. And when you desperately need him, when you are destitute without him, he comes through for you in extraordinary ways. Would you all like to hear more about that? Oh, man. Turn with me to John 14. Say there when you were there. Be John 14. Slide your hand down to the 15th verse. If you love me, you will obey what I command. It's an interesting thing that Jesus begins that with a conditional statement. If you love me, then what? Well, what happens if you don't obey? Then you don't love him enough. We need for our love to grow. How many of you have sung the song, more love, more power, more of you in my life? We probably ought to sing more obedience, more obedience, more obedience in my life. Then you'll get all three. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another. Say another. Another Another what? Counselor. Another counselor. Now, I don't know about you, but the only times I've ever considered another counselor's because I was in court and the one I had I didn't think was doing a good job. Usually when you need another counselor, that's not such a good thing. If you have to fire your first lawyer, things aren't going well for you. This is an interesting concept. One that you're going to agree with in principle, but in practice, the whole church world has run away from. In Greek, there are two ways to say another. One of them is heteros. Anybody want to guess at what that means? Heteros means another of a different kind, not the same kind. That would be a little different prefix that most people are getting more and more familiar with in this day and time. Heteros means another of a different kind. That's not what he says. He says alos, another of the same kind. Consider that for a minute. He will give you another counselor of the same kind, of the same substance, to be with you forever. To be with you how long? 
Now, how had Jesus been a counselor to them? Well, they left their homes, they left their businesses, and they walked, talked, ate, slept, traveled with him for three and a half years. He was a counselor with them that was real, that was present, that was there conversationally, there to teach them, there to correct them. He was there all of the time. When Jesus says that he will give you another counselor, another of the same kind, your relationship with the Holy Spirit ought to look something like the relationship that they physically had with Jesus. Jesus didn't just say, hey, I'm going to lead you to a place of salvation, seal you, and then forget you. Hope it all works out. Instead, he walked with them. He taught them. He answered their questions. He showed them more truth. He helped them find revelation. This is the relationship of the Holy Spirit to the believer today. Not just leading you to salvation. Not just sealing you for the day of redemption. But a daily present counselor in your life. Jesus said it when he said, An alos, another of the same kind. Somebody say amen. Amen. This is important. It's important because Jesus was only here three and a half years, but how long will this counselor who will counsel you like Jesus did, how long will he be with you? See, that's a permanent thing. Oh man, have you ever been with somebody that made you feel secure? You were happy, you were protected, things were going well, but you knew it was a limited time? I used to work in a rehab clinic. People would come in broken, and as they got better and better and better, they were excited. They'd get more and more strong. And then in a certain percentage of them, something happened as we got close to graduation date. They got scared that they weren't going to do well when they got out. And because they weren't going to do well when they got out, they were scared to make progress. Anything to keep the counselor closer. You never have to worry about the presence of the Holy Spirit leaving you or deserting you as long as you are doing what he says. You know, someone pointed out to me the other day how much the Holy Spirit loves us, and that's not something that I disagree with. It's just language that I don't usually use. You know, I, I, I tend to say that Jesus loves you and would not say it quite like that. Of course, if he can be grieved, and the Scripture says he can... The only way somebody can be grieved by something is if they loved it. He has to love you to be grieved by your behavior. How many of you are grieved when you don't even know someone? You're not grieved at all. You're grieved when you're greatly disappointed in someone that you love. Pick up in verse 17. The spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. Say in you. To be with you is amazing, but to be in you is something altogether different. The relationship of the believer to the Holy Spirit is a counselor that is not just on speed dial. He's a counselor that is living inside of you. I will not leave you as... If you did not have a counselor by way of the Holy Spirit with you in a real and present way, able to speak with you, 
you're able to walk with him, stay in step with him the same way they walk with Jesus down the dusty road, then you would be an orphan. Maybe that's why the church acts so strange so much of the time. The Holy Spirit led them to the place of salvation, but they didn't understand their ongoing relationship. And because of that, they have a kind of orphaned faith. That means that they need to network in the place of praying for things. That means they need to manipulate rather than evangelize. That means that they need to do things in a carnal kingdom instead of a Christian kingdom. Because they don't have that ongoing counsel of the Holy Spirit inside them. Now I say they. How about you? When is the last time that you can authentically say the Holy Spirit spoke to you? Can you imagine being with Jesus for a week and him not speaking to you or you to him? Can you imagine sitting by a fire in Galilee eating fish in total silence? Waking up the next day and just determining your priorities and doing the things that you thought were best while you could physically see Jesus? Can you imagine that? That's Wednesday night, I know. It's hard to get you to talk to me on Wednesday night. But you, you and I both know what I'm capable of. I will come sit in your lap and preach the rest of the message. So I'm going to ask you again. If Jesus was sitting as close to you as the person on your left or right, can you imagine waking up at 8 a.m. on Monday morning, not saying a word to him, not asking him anything, and just going off to work to do your business? But we can wake up and not have asked the presence of the Holy Spirit where we're supposed to go and what we're supposed to do and what he would like of us that day, can't we? Is it because you could see Jesus next to you but could not see the Spirit inside of you? Maybe. That's why there's manifestations of the Spirit. And the more of them that are working in your life, be they manifestations in gifts or manifestations in the fruit of the Spirit, then the more real His presence comes to you. This is why churches that do not practice and move in the gifts of the Spirit really do not treat the Holy Spirit as if He is real. And they think that churches like ours simply make this up. Well, if you could get the kind of fruit that we're having from making it up, then I suggest that you do the same. But we're not making it up. I would like you to look at this slide. Somebody, I think it was Lynette uh, Cook, but I'm not positive. Bob, did Lynette draw that? You drew that. All right. Bob drew this while sitting in one of the Acts classes that we were teaching. And the reason that I put it on the screen is I don't have time to teach everything that there was taught in that class that evening, but it's a good reminder. The Holy Spirit brings freedom. You find that in 2 Corinthians 3.17. Can you imagine not wanting freedom? He's called the Spirit of the truth in the passage we just read, John 16.13. Can you imagine not wanting truth? The Holy Spirit is a spirit of power, Acts 1.8. The Holy Spirit both has manifestations that are gifts and he has manifestations that are fruits of his presence in your life. He's called the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the Father, Spirit of Holiness. He is referred to as simply the Spirit of God. He's also referred to as the Spirit of Sonship. He said that he is with you and he will be in you. And he's also called the Eternal Spirit of God. 
Can you imagine believing those descriptors but not wanting his influence? Well, nobody admits to not wanting the influence of the Holy Ghost. But let me take you back to an Alos counselor. Do you see the role of the Holy Spirit in your life as real and as tangible as if Jesus were standing next to you physically? Can I challenge you that there is room yet to grow in the way that you can relate to the Spirit of Jesus? There is room yet to go in your revelation of who He is and what He is? Can I challenge you that when He says in verse 18, I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. Listen to this. On that day, speaking of the day of the coming of the Holy Spirit, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Jesus is not just speaking in riddles. He would be standing totally surrounded by the presence of God, and he was promising you that you would be standing totally surrounded by the presence of the Holy Spirit. Oh, wow. How many of you have worshipped to get closer to God? That's a... Those are descriptors that I understand. Trust me, I do. And yet, if he is inside of you, you can't get away from him, much less closer to him. You know what we're trying to do? We're trying to make ourselves more aware of his ongoing presence in our lives. I would suggest that obedience helps us to do that. Now, while we're talking about the ministry of the Holy Spirit and the things that he does draws you, teaches you, leads you, moves in prophecy, renews you, opens your mind, convicts you, brings revelation to you, raises from the dead and gives life. While we're looking at the things that he does, I want to share with you some things that happen in Turkey. Is that okay? While you're looking at this map of Turkey, there are a couple things to see. Number one in the north is Bithynia and Pontus. Do you see that in purple? We got words of prophecy out of 1 Peter that told us to go to Bithynia and Pontus, to the scattered children of God that were chosen according to him. That's, That's where our words of prophecy were. There's a little town that is up there, not far from where uh, Amistris is on this map, called Pazar. That's where we met Cesar. Now, the way that that came to us was Brother Peyton was doing a word study out of 1 Peter and Psalm 112, and the Holy Spirit showed him this city and said, you need to go here. At the same time, I was not in the room with Peyton, not, not even in the same meeting. We arrived in a meeting later that day, and I had been reading 1 Peter and was sharing with Nick and the brothers, I think we have to go to this area called Pontus, we have to be right here. I think it's what the Lord said. Brother Bosch came from work and said, I can't get the port cities of the Black Sea out of my mind. I think we have to go to that area. Now we're having two or more witnesses. This means that when we get there, we can be confident that the Lord has said something. But let me ask you, is that a little thin for the natural mind to go on? How many of you would... 
spend $1,500 a ticket, get on a plane for 13 hours, drive for about 30 hours, right, in a Middle Eastern country that is about to go Sharia, where uh, all, all relations are eroded, and the last time you were there, you were arrested more than 20 times. How many of you would be looking for that opportunity? The more you get to know the presence of the Holy Spirit, though, the more you get excited that if he's sending you into such a precarious situation, or as Brother Steve would put it, a target-rich environment, there must be a reason. We were not disappointed. Let me show you some things that is, were said to the churches in Turkey, which is what I'm going to call the churches of Revelation from here on out. The churches of Turkey, right? In Revelation 2.7, now you won't be able to turn to these as fast as I'm reading them, so write down the address. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's in Selchuk, Turkey. It's the, the admonition to Ephesus. And how did, the, how, how did God reveal it to the church? He who has an ear, let him hear what God's written word says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. How important is it that we learn to hear from the Spirit of God? How important is it that when the Spirit speaks, we have an additional testimony from the Word of God so that we can tune our ears to what the Spirit is saying? Church, we cannot afford to operate as orphans any longer. We cannot consult the role of the Holy Spirit at salvation and then once every three to five years when your house, your job, or your children are threatened. We're going to have to learn to develop a daily walk because here's how he said it to the church at Izmir or Smyrna. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. That was Revelation 2.11. Another church in Turkey. These were not orphan churches. You follow me? The Holy Spirit was speaking to them. They were not left as orphans in the first century. Somebody say that's good. Do you enjoy it when the Spirit speaks in here today? Can we really let them be orphans today if God did not let them be orphans during the days of the Roman Empire? Revelation 2.17 He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To he who overcomes, I I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name on it, known only to him who receives it. How was that said? By the Spirit. So was also the church at Thyatira, which is Akasar, Turkey. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Also the church in Sart, Turkey. Revelation 3, 6. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, also Revelation three thirteen. Alice Sahir. This is Philadelphia, Turkey. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Uh, Denizli, that's Laodicea, Revelation 3.22. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Seven testimonies that the churches of Turkey were not orphans. How many testimonies are there in your life that you're not an orphan? Can you tell me seven times in which the Holy Spirit spoke to you and confirmed it in the Word and it has directed your life ever since? Or can you just tell me that when you were eight, you said you loved Jesus and somebody dunked you in water and gave you a certificate? See, the life of a believer is defined by his relationship with the Holy Spirit. I know theologically we have a lot more work than that. We have to believe upon Jesus. I know that his blood is credited to us by faith and not by works. I know those things, trust me. But Romans 8.14 says as many as are led by are the sons of God. See, the result of the cross, the result of falling in love with Jesus is that you love his spirit. And so you obey him because he is another counselor who is inside of you. Inside of you 24 hours a day, with you wherever you... You ever look down at your phone, you needed to use your mapping program, and your GPS was turned off? Doesn't mean you didn't have it. It meant that it wasn't even turned on. Maybe you need to turn on your spirit to God's spirit inside of you. Maybe you need to switch... uh, some, some, some lever inside of you. It says, I've been living to my own desires instead of the Spirit's desires. And let me give you a good litmus test. While it's very quiet in here and we have that steamy, balmy air of uh, the Texas summer upon us. Can you even look back upon today and see where he steered you today? What was that? Three people of 150? How many of you know that you grieved him this week? How about that? It would not be possible to sit with Jesus 24-7 for three years and not be both encouraged and corrected by him, not be taught by him. We cannot say that we are spirit-filled without hourly interaction with the Spirit. That's something, isn't it? You know, that revelation is upon me because when you don't speak the language and there are men with guns and, and there is a religion there that is so satanic and so wicked that their idea of a good day is cutting off your head, you have to hear the voice of the Spirit. You have to know whether the person that you're answering this question for is really asking it to you as a trap so that they can call the authorities, or they're asking because they sincerely want to know. We are not orphans. Amen? Amen. Revelation 19 and verse 9. Say there when you are there. I'm not going to preach all night, just most of it. But as we get going, I bet you find some things this evening you've never heard. By the way, I went to a couple churches for the greater majority of my uh, adolescent life. And um, some of my family members went there for generations before that. They were all wicked sinners, but they, they went to these churches. And I don't think they ever heard anything that they didn't know before, ever. 
In fact, I'm pretty sure that after the orientation where they told you what they were going to preach about for the rest of time, there was nothing new to learn. And tonight, I bet you'll hear some things you've never heard before. And that's a pretty common occurrence here. You know why? You're not orphans. The Holy Spirit is among us. There are pastors here and elders here who love you and are seeking the very face of God just to bring you new spiritual bread. Now, as good as that is, how often do we see each other? Let me me do it this way. Is there a night this week you didn't see my pretty face? Yeah. Is there two nights this week you didn't see me? Three? (laughs) Most of you hadn't been three nights. Okay, but none of you want to fast three days a week from here on out, do you? You get me? If you are waiting for us to feed you, then you are ignoring the greatest teacher that there's ever been who resides inside of you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and you are going to one of his servants saying, Hey, will you got any leftovers from what he's given you? Now, trust me, I'm flattered, I'm honored. I love to teach. I've always loved to teach. I hope to teach you as many nights of the week as we're able to do so. But there's really no... You you probably have your own refrigerator in your house for a reason, huh? You want to eat when you want to eat, not just at my house, huh? The Holy Spirit is present in your life so that you are not at a handicap when the clergy is not around. Now, the Church of Rome... Burned a bunch of us at the stake to keep you from finding that out. So don't, don't just shake your head lightly and say, oh yeah, of course. Especially if you're not opening that refrigerator three or four times a day. Revelation 19, 9. The angel said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. He added, these are the true words of God. At this, I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of See, the very testimony that Jesus lived, breathed, walked is a form of prophecy. It is still instructing us today because his spirit is a spirit of prophecy. Could we go back to that map for just a minute? When you're looking at this, you notice all of this yellow area called Asia Minor over here is where the seven churches of Revelation are. Look up to the right at the green area. Do you see Galatia? You, beneath that, Cappadocia. All of these are areas mentioned in the Word. Where these red arrows are down here at about 4 o'clock. Tarsus. Do you see it? Uh, bottom right-hand corner, Antioch. You're not going to find a more Bible-rich region in all of the world outside of Israel than Turkey. So how can we not go there since there are no Christians there now or very few? We have to. But can I tell you, if you've not heard from God about where you're going in Turkey, you might not come home. You're likely to not come home. In Antakya, they put people in jail all of the time. In Gaziantep, they have, in the last century, murdered almost every Christian there. In Kilis, nobody had ever seen 
a Christian. When we went to Samsung, what it's most famous for, at least among Christians, is just a few years ago they killed a guy for making disciples. We went to what we thought was a church. We rang the bell, rang the bell, rang the bell. Finally, an old man leans out the window of a, up top and looks down and literally will not let us in. In a biblical, uh, parable fashion. I mean, visitors from afar will not let us in because he's so scared. You have to hear from God. So I wanted to talk to you about that tonight. You ready for it? Let's go to Corinthians 12. In verse 4. Yeah, you can leave that slide right there. That'll work. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but the same God works all of them in... He works all of them in... All of them in... All men. Now, what you're going to hear over and over and over is that we need to divide these up and we need to ask, Hey, Brother Charlie, what's your gift? Hey, Brother Jonathan, what's your gift? Hey, Brother uh, Nolan, what's your gift? The scripture clearly starts off with the idea that he works all of them in all men. You know what else you have here in chapter 4? You have the entire Godhead. We have the Spirit, the Lord, and God. All three. The totality of the Godhead is at work through the manifestations of the Spirit in all men. Pick up with me in verse 7. Now to each one. To how many? Now to each one. Who should be left out in here? Who's not an each? (laughs) Nobody should be left out. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the... Why would God bless Gammy with manifestations of the Holy Spirit? Why, according to this verse? For your good. Why would God bless JJ with manifestations of the Spirit? For your good. So this does away with the idea that we're talking about some kind of Holy Spirit merit badges that shows how great Gamaliel is or how great uh, Buddy is or how great JJ is. Why are they given? For the benefit of everyone else. Now let's take that into Turkey. Why did we get those words of prophecy? Was it for us or for someone else? Christians are, are happening because of it. Homes are opening up because of it. Bible questions are being answered because of it. In fact, not only have we not been personally enriched by it, we're actually being impoverished as we keep buying these tickets and going back. But there's more life to give. And we can't wait to do it. So we're going again in a month. And every area we've not yet been to, we're going to go to. We're also going to go to each of the cities that we had a man of peace in. I'm kind of addicted to this now. I like that I can ask him. He can tell me where to go. I can do it and it works. That's a lot better than paying some guy off TBN an exorbitant amount of money to go on a trip and watch him and his... uh, It's a lot better than, than... 
Let me just get back to the word. That way I don't ruin my relationship with the Holy Spirit while I'm talking to you about the Holy Spirit. Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given through the Spirit the message of wisdom. To another the message of knowledge by the means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits. To another, speaking different kinds of tongues. And still, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of the one and the same Spirit. And He gives them to each one just as He determines. Now, by the way, each time we say another there, it's not a heteros again, it's alos. There is nothing unique about one of you as opposed to the other that causes a manifestation of the Spirit. In fact, these are for all of us. And when he gives one to you for the common good of the others, not everybody can be an I. Not everybody can be an ear, but this doesn't mean that you don't get to switch places the very next service. So why then does one always prophesy in tongues and another always seem to pray for backs and another? Because they got comfortable there. That's why. Every manifestation of the Spirit is possible for every believer. Are you beginning to see the extent to which we limit ourselves now? It's incredible. We find our guy who's got courage to prophesy in tongues. We find our guy who's got the courage to interpret. We find our guy who feels led to heal the sick. And on we're like, that's their gift. Because if it's their gift, then it doesn't have to be your gift. Man, how we have reduced that counselor. That's like saying Jesus is the healing guy as if he's not the saving guy. Jesus is the saving guy and he's not the healing guy. Oh, that's right. They do that too, though, don't they? See, everything that the ministry of Jesus was for them in those three and a half years daily, that's waking up, that's lunchtime, that's dinner time. Now the presence of the Holy Spirit would be to them daily, all day, every day. Man, how's your walk looking as in step with the Holy Spirit now. Find out that this is a little more complicated than maybe you were taught in an Assemblies of God camp when you were 13. Sneak off into the woods, speak in other tongues, come back, live like a devil, and now you're spirit-filled. That's not quite how I see it. That's not quite how it is in the Word. This is an ongoing relationship of dependency. Dependency in the morning, dependency in the afternoon, Dependency in the evening. And there's nothing quite like a very dangerous mission trip. I'm going to cross the border into Iraq very soon. Can I tell you or we'll get our prayer life right? Most of the time, when the cartel comes out in Mexico, in my truck, I don't know what's happening in your cars, people are confessing sin. Because they're pretty sure if somebody's going to get shot at, it's going to be me. And they're sitting with me. So most of the time they're like, look, now's not the best time, but I need to tell you. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, hurry up. They might shoot at any minute. 
I want to show you something. The message of wisdom. Uh, let's, let's hold that. You just roll back one. The message of wisdom. The message of knowledge. Supernatural faith. Healing. Miraculous powers. Prophecy. Distinguishing between spirits. Different kinds of tongues. Interpretation of tongues. We're good charismatics, or I don't know if we are or not. I dropped those titles a long time ago. They may mean something different now. Having said that, I've been spirit-filled a long time. And these are things that we're pretty familiar with. But I was always kind of of the opinion that this was a special occurrence that God had now given His church in the Newer Testament. Can I tell you how untrue that is? Turn with me to Genesis 41. When you get to Genesis 41, say, I'm there, Pastor. If you take a long time to say, I'm there, I'm just going to take longer to preach. Genesis 41, 33. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and all of his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made all this known to you, who made it known to him? There is no one so discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command, and men shouted before him, Make way. Almost like prepare the way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Now, if I read verse 44, then I'm going to end up just preaching on Joseph tonight. Let me ask you. So often, if this is Bible trivia, we say, how did Joseph become the Pharaoh uh, or Zaphonoth Paneah, the savior of the world in Egypt? Well, he interpreted a dream. No, not really. He interpreted a dream, yes. But there was a supernatural message of wisdom. Nowhere in that dream did it tell him he needed to take a fifth. Nowhere in that dream did it tell him to build storehouses. Nowhere in that dream did it tell him how to handle what he had just seen in the dream. Do you know who did? The Holy Spirit on the spot, in the moment, as a supernatural word of wisdom. Let me ask you, where did Joseph get such wisdom if not by the Holy Spirit? Was he trained in how to take a federal collection across the most powerful nation in the world while he was in prison? Was he trained to do it while he was running from Potiphera? Was it when he was in the hole that his brothers threw him in that he picked up tax policies for a nation? It had to have come by the Holy Spirit. It certainly didn't come by his previous experience. 
That is a supernatural message of wisdom. When the Holy Ghost shows you exactly how to handle a situation, can I tell you it's a whole lot better than the method of trial and error? It's a whole lot better than consulting man. It's a whole lot better than having learned it from somebody that wasn't able to do it themselves, so they took up teaching it. It turns out that there is a message of wisdom in the Torah. That's our next slide. The message of wisdom is in the Torah. I thought this was a New Testament spiritual gift it turns out that the culmination of the ages has come upon us but it is a culmination of the ages that these gifts actually appeared you're gonna you ready for this in the law the prophets the writings every gift in every section would y'all like to see that tonight good because that's exactly what we're gonna do first samuel 10 in verse 1 Then Samuel took a flask of oil and poured it on Saul's head and kissed him, saying, Has not the Lord anointed you leader over his inheritance? When you leave me today, you will meet two men near Rachel's tomb at Zelzah on the border of Benjamin. They will say to you, The donkeys you set out to look for have been found. And now your father has stopped thinking about them and is worried about you. He is asking, what shall I do about my son? Before I go any further with this, how specific is that word of knowledge? The number of people, what they're going to say, the news they're going to bring, and the news they're going to bring is about what a father is thinking. Keep going with it. Then you will go on from there until you reach the great tree of Tabor. Three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you there. One will be carrying three young goats, another three loaves of bread, and another a skin of wine. They will greet you and offer you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from them. Could we get any more specific? This is a far cry from, hey, all your children will be born naked, but in a way you do not understand. You know, all of these ridiculous charismatic... Someone in the room. Yes, I'm getting a word of knowledge. Someone in the room was struggling with pride. Thank you, Nostradamus. Look how, how, how serious this is. It gets even better. After that, you will go to Gibeah of God, where there is a Philistine outpost. As you approach the town, you will meet a procession of prophets coming down from the high places with lairs, tambourines, flutes, and harps being played before them. And they will be prophesying, the Spirit of the Lord will come on you in power. And you will prophesy with them and you will be changed into a different person. Once these signs are fulfilled, do whatever your hand finds to do. God is with you. You think... And of course, this is said from Samuel to Saul as a word of knowledge. Let's take that next slide. There is a message of knowledge in the Naveen. See, in the Torah, the law, we find a word of wisdom. In the Naveen, we find a word of knowledge. The difference between the two being one tells you how to handle something supernaturally. The other is supernatural facts you could not know if God didn't reveal. 
How many of you can tell me who I'm going to meet tomorrow? What number they're going to come in? What instruments they're going to play? What animals they're going to be covering? What the response in my heart will be? What news they're going to tell me from home about what my parents are thinking? And when the Holy Spirit is going to come on me and what the result will be? Come on now. That's not a Sister Cleo's 1999, you know. When we're looking at this, we clearly see the spiritual gifts in the law and the prophets. Now let's go to 2 Chronicles. We'll be in the 20th chapter. We're going to be in verse 8. I'm sorry, verse 9. Say there when you're there. If you haven't picked up on it, we're going to go law, prophets, writings, law, prophets, writings, law, prophets, writings. Because I want to prove a point. The culmination of the ages has in fact come upon us. But this has been building through the generations. Just there's never been a generation who was given so much, so fast, all at one time. And because of that, an inheritance given quickly, sometimes in the end is not a blessing. It's easy to take for granted what you have access to. If you had to work for 4,000 years for this, you might not feel that way. Second Chronicles 20 Verse 9, if calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name. And we will cry out to you in our distress and you will hear us and save us. But now here are men from Moab and Seir, whose territory you would not allow Israel to invade when they came from Egypt. So they turned away from them and did not destroy them. See how they're repaying us? By coming to drive us out of the possession you gave us as an inheritance. O our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power, say no power, to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. All the men of Judah... With their wives, their children, and their little ones stood before the Lord. Uh, That's a pretty serious situation, isn't it? Have to picture Judah standing up here, Sasha standing up here, holding Titus in their hands, baby in the belly, Beniah Othniel. We're going to produce some some spiritual killers in the Stevens clan. It's going to happen. And they know for sure that an army is attacking. That the army is greater in number than theirs. And what is their defense plan? To stand at the altar with the women, the children, and the little ones. The babies still in the arms. Skip down to verse 20. Early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa. As they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem. Have faith in the Lord your God and you will be upheld. Have faith in his prophets and you will be successful. After consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army saying, Give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. As they began to sing in praise... 
The Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah and they were defeated. You want to talk about a supernatural endowment of faith? You stand before the Russian army while they're invading with tanks, while their MiGs are flying over their head. You stand with your pregnant wife, with your child of eight, and with a child in your arms and say, our plan is to stand here, give no ground, and praise and worship the Lord. Tell me, is that not a supernatural gift of faith? Wow. So it turns out in our next slide that what we have is supernatural faith working in the area of the Bible called the Ketuvim. We saw a message of wisdom in the Torah. We saw a message of knowledge in the Navim. And we see supernatural work in the Ketuvim. That's really not all that surprising since the Torah is supposed to form your heart with the wisdom of God. The Uh, prophets are supposed to warn your soul with supernatural knowledge. And this supernatural faith is supposed to determine how you carry out your walk in the strength of the Lord. Isn't that what Deuteronomy 6, 4 says? Turn with me to Genesis 17. Now, if we just did law, prophets, writings, what's coming next? Law. Law. We're just going to keep cycling through it and you're going to see them all. Genesis 20, verse 17. Then Abraham prayed to God, and God healed Abimelech. Anybody want to comment on that? (laughs) So you got to imagine, Jennifer and I are strolling through Paraland, and I said, baby, they never saw anybody like you here. And when they get a load of you, they're going to want to kill me and take you. So look, when somebody asks you, Just say, you're my sister. So she does so. And whoever the mayor of Paraland is, decides, wow, that is a good looking woman. I'm going to take her into my home. But God strikes the whole household with some kind of STD, spiritually transmitted disease. And I'm praying. It's like, Lord, that whole she's my sister thing, you know, um, I was just scared. And he says, I know, I want you to go pray for the mayor of Paraland. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech, his wife and his slave girls, so they could have children again. For the Lord had closed up every womb in Abimelech's household because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. God healed in the law even before there was a law, certainly healed after there was a law. Do you see it? So we see then the healing power of God at work in the Torah. Turn with me to 2 Kings 6. Let's look for some miraculous powers. If you ever want to see miraculous powers, like somebody tells you, you know what my spiritual gift is? It's miraculous powers. Turn to 2 Kings 6 and see how their miraculous powers work out with the shadow of miraculous powers. Not the fulfillment, the shadow. See, when we're looking at these in the Older Testament, they're supposed to foreshadow what we get now. Not be far superior to. You follow me? Y'all are awful quiet. You might know that in 2 Kings 6, we're moving into the ministry of one of the greatest prophets that ever uh, lived. 
Second Kings six, verse three. Then one of them said, won't you please come with your servants? I will, Elijah replied. And he went with them. They went to the Jordan and began to cut down trees. As one of them was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water. Oh, my Lord, he cried out. It was borrowed. Apparently, that's been going on a long time. The man of God asked, where did it fall? It's good he's not omniscient. That lends to the idea he needs spiritual gifts. When he showed him the place, Elijah cut a stick and threw it there and made the iron float. Come on now. Miraculous powers. What does it mean when the Holy Spirit manifests among us? It means that it is very possible to have miraculous powers. Just in case you're not convinced, slide down to verse 18 of the same chapter. As the enemy came towards him, Elijah prayed to the Lord, strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness as Elijah had asked. Elisha told them, this is not the road and this is not the city. That's an interesting response. Misleading blind people. (laughs) Everybody who ever used uh, or, or had a manifestation of the spirit also was a regular human being. Follow me and I will lead you to the man you're looking for. And he led them to Samaria. After they entered the city, Elijah said, Lord, open the eyes of these men so they can see. Get this. He struck them with blindness and he cured their blindness with a small lie in the middle. (laughs) Now, surely if what we see is a message of wisdom in the Torah, a message of knowledge in the prophets, supernatural faith in the writings, a healing touch in the Torah, and now miraculous powers in, uh, in the prophets again. Surely we ought to see these things in our lives, right? Because we have more than they were ever given. I mean, there was no Pentecost here, right? Well, that's a good question, isn't it? Because so far we've seen every spiritual gift operating in their lives that are operating in ours. But wait! Wait, we're able to move in them all. And here we're seeing them only sporadically, temporarily. You mean like your life? Sporadically and temporarily? The more I study this, the more I find absolutely no difference between the Older and the Newer Testament. Other than the expectation that is upon us because we've been given their example too. How about Psalm 22, verse 14? I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it has melted within me. My strength is dried up like a pot shard, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death, dogs have surrounded me. A band of evil men has encircled me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them and cast lots for my clothing. It turns out that there is prophecy in the Ketuvim. Psalm 22 speaks about the role of, of Jesus in the crucifixion 
as clearly as anywhere. And that's just one of the six places that you can read easily in Psalm 22 that does. So we see prophecy at work in the Bible before Pentecost. How about Numbers 14 and verse 4? Because we're starting to get down to those three gifts that most people don't think are in the Older Testament. Have you ever heard that before? Pastor Wade, Pastor Matthew have. Uh, All of you are able right now with no assistance to show me every gift in uh, Corinthians 12 displayed in the law prophets writings? No? No, so you're learning it? Okay, then talk to me. Or I'm going to follow you home tonight and sit silently beside you and not say anything. In Numbers 14, verse 4. Are you there? Are you there? All right. And they said to one another, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What spirit do you think they're of when they say that? Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the Israelite assembly, The land we passed through and explored is exceedingly good. Could you say that Joshua and Caleb were of a different spirit than the other people? That they looked at the situation and were able to distinguish between what was of the devil and what was of the Lord? Let's just say that that's not clear enough. I love that one. I needed one from the law. But let me show you my favorite one so you can understand distinguishing between spirits. This is 1 Kings 22. It will be 1 Kings 22 starting in verse 19. Micaiah continued, Therefore hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. What did he do? He saw the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing around him on his right and on his left. And the Lord said, who will entice Ahab into attacking Ramoth Gilead and going to his death there? One suggested this, another that. Finally, a spirit came forward, stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. By what means, the Lord asked. I will go out and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets, he said. You will succeed in enticing him, said the Lord. Go and do it. So now the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouths of these prophets of yours. The Lord has decreed disaster for you. I love this. There is all of these prophets with iron horns on their head, walking around like bulls, saying that the kings are going to gore their enemies. But there's one man that can see into the spirit something that the others cannot see. Personally, I think that's what distinguishing between spirits is. I think that's what Paul was doing with the slave girl in Macedonia. Now, I say all of that, though, and you can see distinguishing between spirits even in the law. So, to recap, message of wisdom in the Torah, message of knowledge in the Nevim, supernatural faith in the Ketuvim, Healing in the law, miraculous powers in the prophets, prophecy in the writings, distinguishing between spirits in the law and the writings. But different kinds of tongues? Really? In the, in the Older Testament? That's a uniquely New Testament gift, isn't it? Who's been told that's a New Testament gift? 
Turn with me to 1 Samuel. I want to talk to you about a barren faith tonight. That was your introduction. A barren faith. First Samuel, first chapter, tenth verse. Before I left for Turkey, I preached about wrecked, being emptied. When you're emptied, you got nothing left to lose. A poor man doesn't even hear a threat. I came back and told you there's more life to give. Now I'm talking to you about a barren faith. What happens when you are absolutely incapable of producing life? What happens when you hurt every time the thought comes to your mind because you are just overcome with your inability to change the situation? What happens when you are so overwhelmed with your lack that it's all you can see? Because if you dare to attempt anything for the Lord, one of the things that you are going to face is you absolutely can't do it. And in the charismatic world, we flip around these things just so tritely, so easily, like we're children talking about warfare and we've never been in it. But when you begin to attempt things for the Lord and your friends die, you attempt things for the Lord and people lose jobs, you attempt things for the Lord and there's real cost, you start to realize just how sterile you are, how unable to affect the heart and life of another human being you actually are how unable to do anything supernatural you actually are. And it's paralyzing. You start wondering whether God should have picked somebody else. Surely somewhere there must be someone better than you. And yet you're the only one there. And all of your inadequacy and all of your incompetence, you're who he sent. I have your attention. 1 Samuel, 1st chapter, 10th verse. In bitterness of soul. Let that wash over you a bit. We like our faith to come in triumphant victory. Sometimes it's best expressed in the bitterness of our inadequate soul. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much. And prayed to the Lord. And she made a vow saying, O Lord Almighty, if only you will look upon your servants, what? And remember me. And not forget your servant, but give her a son. Then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. And no razor will ever be used on his head. Before we go any further... Is this a woman that can live without a child? And yet she doesn't have one. See, a burden starts to grow in you for a nation. It starts to grow in you for people. And you start to feel as if you cannot live if the situation doesn't change. And yet you're not capable of changing it. Do you know what that causes you to do? It causes you to cry out before the Lord. It's a destitute kind of need. It says, I have nothing. 
I am barren. I am incapable. I am pond scum. But you're not. And I believe that you love me and you will hear me. And so I am asking for help. It's the desperate cry of someone whose loved one is just coded. It's the desperate cry of a father who's watching his children veer into hell. It's the desperate cry of a father whose hands are covered in the blood of his children because of some accident. It's the desperate cry of someone who knows the situation must change. And you simply do not have what it takes to change it. This is a barren kind of faith. Verse 12. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. What was Eli looking at? Hannah was praying in her heart. And her lips were moving. But her voice was not Shema. What says not heard there in Hebrew is Shema. In this context, it can mean understood. Shema can mean heard. It can mean hear and obey. Shema, Shema can mean listen carefully. And it can mean understood. Consider this as we're talking about it. Her lips were moving, but her voice was not understood. Eli thought she was... On the day of Pentecost, were their lips moving? Did people understand what they were saying? And what was the accusation? Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long will you keep getting drunk? Get rid of your wine. Not so, my Lord. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry, that's the other story. (laughs) Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I am pouring out my soul before the Lord. I believe that this is a hint that Hannah is actually... Praying in other tongues. She is praying in her heart. Her lips are moving, but her words are unintelligible. And everyone thought she was drunk. She's not drunk. She's reached a place where only the intercession of the Spirit can help her because there is nothing left of her. What a powerful, powerful place to be in. See, a barren faith is not one that we're all anxious to get to. We would rather show faith while we have something in reserve. We would rather hang on to the one before we have to risk reaching for the other. But Hannah is in a situation where she doesn't have anything except hope. Oh man, the God that we serve is looking for the reckless adventurer who is empty in his soul. He's a poor man that can't hear a threat because he's destitute in this world, wanting nothing in it, taking nothing from it. But he must have the promise of God made real in his life. Oh, Jesus. How interesting. Let me show you seven women in the Bible. We've done this before, but in light of what we're hearing... I want to do it again. Sarah. Sarah was a barren woman that had a child. Somebody say one. One. 
Rebecca, a barren woman that had a child. Rachel, a barren woman that had a child. Manoah's wife, barren woman, had a child. Hannah, what number is Hannah? Five. Five's always the number of grace, isn't it? The fifth barren woman in the Bible might be the very first one to foreshadow speaking in other tongues. Grace gifts, charis gifts, even in the Older Testament, you just had to be really, really empty of your self. Hey, did she get her child? While we're talking about her getting her child, skip forward a couple slides for me and we'll come back um, to the one with the Hebrew writing on it. This is 2 Samuel 2.10 in the Hebrew. These are the last recorded words of Hannah in all of the Bible. Somebody say last words. Like it would be her epitaph if you're going to put it on her tomb. A woman who fought for a child was barren. Say barren. Barren. She couldn't have one. She's sterile. She can't. Everybody's laughing at her. But she begins to pray in a way that the Holy Ghost is interceding for heaven's will on the earth through her lips. Others laugh at her and say she's without reason. She's drunk. But she gets her child even while the priesthood mocks her. And now we have a child. She's given him to the Lord. And these are her last words. Unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. It's the last part of 2 Samuel 10. Do you know what is special about that? His king, his melech, his anointed, his Mashiach. That's this word right here. Hannah is the first person in all of Israel to recognize that the Messiah would be both a king and the anointed one. What will God show you if you get to a place where you truly has given your last drop of life away? Where you're truly wrecked in Turkey? When the only adventure you have left in you is the desperate last charge of the one thing that you know God has told you because there is nothing else, then what will he do for you? Well, these barren women, they not only got their children, they added something to the faith that no man ever did. That's an incredible thing, don't you think? Let's go back a few slides. Roll back. Uh, Forward one. There we go. When you define their names, some of you have seen this before, they have name changes and they have one that we have no idea what her name was, so we just put no name in. Roll forward one. When you put them together, a contentious one becomes a princess that ensnares the lamb who is nameless. His grace and favor make us like God. God is my oath. Where did that kind of revelation flow from? From a heart that was so broken that they could not produce life, there was nothing else. So God gave them the life they sought and revelation on top of that. Are you fighting for a promise in here? How much? Is the Holy Spirit with you in the morning? Is He with you at lunch? Is He with you in the evening? Can you literally say, 
No, I'm not an orphan. He's with me all the time, but I don't have anything else. I am destitute. I am living for the next word that he might breathe to me. Can you get to the place where your heart is so broken for the things of God and so destitute of the things of this world that you are praying in your heart, but what is coming out of your mouth are only the sounds that he gave you? Oh man, now we might know something of what spirit-filled actually is. See, that's not just a hyper moment, is it? It's a desperate cry for the promise of God to be made real in your heart and life. And you know what? He's been doing it in every century, in every section of the word. It has never stopped and it will never stop. But you have all of their testimony plus your own. They didn't have that. Oh, man, do you think we're more or less responsible? Let's move forward. I want to make sure that you get your last little bit in. So that takes us to Daniel. You should be in Daniel 5. Because we still have interpretation of tongues. In Daniel 5. Verse 5, suddenly the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched in the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale. He was so frightened and his knees knocked together and his legs gave way. The king called out for the enchanters, astrologers, and diviners to be brought And said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck and he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or tell the king what it meant. You know, this is destitute in a whole nother kind of way. This guy's got everything the world has to offer, but he can't trade it for the one thing that he doesn't have. That's really interesting, isn't it? See, I know what it is to have a barren faith. No retirement. No credit. No backup plan. No family. All my eggs in the Jesus basket. But I think I've placed my faith in pretty good hands. This guy's learning what a barren faith is in a whole nother way. He's got everything. But it can't buy him the one thing that he needs and doesn't have. Whose position would you rather be in? Lugging around all the crap this guy had on moving day? But he can't get the one bar of gold that the Lord's trying to give him? Or a man with not one attachment in this world living for the next thing that God would reveal. Because you have a choice. You get to do that. I personally want to be the poor man being made rich from heaven rather than the rich man that is actually poor in heaven's eyes. Look at verse 17. Then Daniel answered the king, you may keep your gifts for yourself and give your rewards to someone else. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, Daniel's a boss. He's DCD. Nevertheless, I will read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. You can keep your bribe, but I'm still going to tell you what it means. Daniel 5, 25. 
This is the inscription that was written. Meeny, meeny, tackle parson. If you can read Turkish, that has very special meaning to us. It means that we spotted Peyton outside of a liquor store. I'm not kidding. That's literally what it means, but uh, whatever. (laughs) Apparently, this handwriting was not Turkish. This is what the words mean. Meaning, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tackle. You have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez. Your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. See, you can be like Hannah and not have one thing that can be taken away from you. And then God can give you everything you ever needed and it's your great joy to put it back in His hands. What a life. She got everything she ever wanted and she gave away everything she ever wanted so God gave her revelation that nobody else ever had. Or you could be like this king. You have everything in the world except the one thing that you need. And when you finally do hear from heaven, it says you have been weighed and found wanting. And what you have is going to be taken from you and given to another. What kind of life do you want? Turkey team has decided to lose everything and take Turkey. Because it's barren in another kind of way. The second most Bible-rich area in all of the world is now spirit poor. And I can't live with that. So I'd rather lose every worldly possession that I have to see if we can make them rich in the spirit again. I believe that we get to do it in a time not unlike the first century. You know, the Ottoman Empire ruled for 1,300 and something years in that area. The caliphate has covered that whole area of the world, including Babylon's kingdom. Actually, go to the very last slide. Let me show you the Muslim countries around Turkey. They're all in black here. Any student of Bible prophecy ought to look at this and be somewhat concerned. I heard a politician in Turkey quoted earlier this year as saying the Ottoman Empire has simply taken a few-year commercial break. We are on our way back in a caliphate. So what would that mean for us? It means that there is an antichrist spirit rising on the globe right now that hates Israel and wants to institute Sharia law across the world. And unlike the first century, there are not seven amazing churches waiting to combat it there. It's our job to build them. You know, I told you that we heard from the Lord about people in specific cities. What if we're hearing from God to build the ramparts, to build up the walls, to feed a church in Turkey because the Lord is anticipating the rise of the Antichrist from that area? What a privilege would it be. Is that worth losing everything that you have? It is to me. Now, if we could go back to a super spiritual gifts slide. This would be back a couple. Back one more. We see that in every area of the word, we have the spiritual gifts represented. 
I didn't want you to feel left out. So while I was doing this, the pastors also did the New Testament. That's our next slide. These will be posted online. You'll notice Matthew is in the New Testament law, Revelation, New Testament prophecy, Romans, uh, New Testament writings, healings back to New Testament law. Then this is the kind of thing that we are doing. We are working all of the time to mine the word for revelation because we've lost everything else in this world. We might as well have the treasures of the next world now. And we're encouraging you to follow our example. If the hand appeared in here now, if the hand appeared in here right now and wrote in the plaster that is on our walls, what would it say about you? Would it say, I've heard the inward prayer of your heart and the incomprehensible moving of your lips and your son is on the way. And not just your son, you're going to be pregnant with a revelation that other men and other ages were denied. You will know the Messiah is the king of your life and the savior of your soul. Would you get what Hannah got? Or would you get what the Medo-Persian king got? You have been weighed you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. Do you know that when Jesus appeared to the churches of Turkey in the first century, he said to each one of them something, I know your deeds. Meany, meany, tackle Parsons. I want the Lord to know my deeds. He's going to no matter what. I want to be proud of what he finds out about them. I say today is the day to take our bravest stand. I can tell you to some it looks a little irresponsible. Maybe you don't understand what the members of the Turkey team are doing. Maybe it's so personally inconvenient to you you're even offended by it. We're going to smile, love you anyway. Amen. We really, really are. We just believe that we have heard something that we can now not back away from no matter how inconvenient. And while I'd like to say we've accomplished something, we are scratching the surface of a beast and it is awakening. And we know our window is short. So we want to get in and save lives as fast as we can. We want to get in as fast and as forcefully as we possibly can because for Toprock it's made a difference. For Cesar it will make a difference. For Toprock's father it will make a difference. For Cesar's <clears throat> 11 friends, I'm not making that up, it will make a difference. I promise that. Now is the time. Now that's just Turkey. We're also going to do it in Peru. We're also doing it in Indonesia. We're also going to do it around the world in every forum at all times. We are not going to seek quarters from the enemy and we're not going to give him quarters. There'll be no points system. We're in a battle for life and death. And it will take a barren faith to win. There's another reason I keep talking about barrenness. It's a word that hurts. If you're waiting every month, you're disappointed every month, and you're shedding tears, and you are broken, because what everybody else seems to have easily is eluding you. 
And you are fighting for that. And you are wondering whether or not you're cursed. And you are beat down. You need to know something. Every woman of faith in the scripture had this same struggle. Because it brought them to a place where there was nothing left of them except the promise of God. And for every single woman of faith, there was not one that he did not answer that prayer. The only one that was ever excluded was Michael, and it's because she hated God's moving. 